You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hey everyone, and welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast. Dave Hebler is best known to Elvis Presley fans as being his bodyguard in the 1970s. He is also an internationally recognized martial arts self-defense instructor, lecturer and senior grandmaster, and founder of American Kempo Karate. Dave has written several books, including Making It Out Alive, Protecting Women and Children from Violence, and How to Survive Encounters of the Worst Kind. He contributed to the book Elvis What Happened, along with Red and Sonny West, who also worked for Elvis, and has recently written a follow-up, The Elvis Experience. Dave joins me on the line now to talk about his time working for Elvis. Hi Dave, and welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast. Hi Steve, thank you. Um, a pleasure to be with you. I'd like to say, before we go any further, for your benefit and the listener's benefit, that uh, I haven't got any axes to grind. Uh, I haven't got any knives sharpened or anything like that. Uh, so just if anybody's thinking it's going to be a hatchet job on you or anything like that, they can just switch off now. Um, uh, I agree. However, uh, don't let that limit your your questions because... Uh, as long as the conversation is civil, I'm more than willing to dis discuss just about any topic. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, uh, I can assure you it will be civil. Uh, I wouldn't have gone to all this time, wasting your time and my time just to stick the knives in. I'm sure after, what is it, 43 years, I'm sure you've had more than enough of that. Oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> Still getting it, as a matter of fact, unfortunately, but that's, that's the way of the world. So. That's the way some people are, yeah. So, yep. would you like to tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how you got into martial arts and all that? I, I understand you you were originally from uh, Massachusetts. Yes, I was. I was uh, born and raised in a uh, in a tenement um, with um, four brothers and uh, two parents in a um, three room tenement with one bathroom, no hot water. Um, no phone, no TV, no car, but we did have rats and cockroaches, which was uh, a really challenge uh, for me to shoot and kill with various devices. So that's that was my you know my uh, my early days uh, um, being raised, and uh, following my graduation from high school, I um, I joined the Air Force. And um, ended up in um, Southern California at March Air Force Base. And in um, to bring you up to date on the uh, on the martial arts stuff, I was uh, um, I had an opportunity to start training in 1958 with uh, uh, a few Hawaiian guys who were in my same squadron. And they knew I was getting out of the Air Force the following year, 1959, and enrolling in uh, <clears throat> college in Pasadena, California. And they suggested that after I do the enrollment, I um, drive up the street two blocks and um, look in on uh, this guy named Ed Parker. Yes, we all know Ed Parker. So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I did. Uh, I did exactly that. I uh, enrolled in college and I drove up the street and 
there was the studio. I walked in. There was uh, there was Ed Parker. He was the only one there, and um, uh, we had a conversation. And he took me out on the mats and um, uh, demonstrated, uh, you know, his art of uh, Kenpo karate to me. And I was uh, astounded, frankly. I had never seen a human being that could move like him. He was just amazing. Wow. And I ended up um, so enthusiastic that I signed up for lessons right then and there. And for the next two months, while I was still in the Air Force, I drove 60 miles one way uh, twice a week for lessons, uh, you know, with him. And that was the start of my uh, martial art career. The lessons that uh, that Elvis got from uh, from Ed Parker were <clears throat> um, few and far between. I mean, it wasn't a uh, continuous uh, training program by any means. And if I can jump ahead just yeah. a little bit, I actually uh, gave uh, Elvis more Kempel lessons than anybody. Right. Primarily because I worked for him and I was there twenty four seven. Yeah. So, so obviously you you met uh, Elvis through Ed. Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact. Okay. I was sitting in my karate school in uh, Glendora, California. I got a call from uh, a black a black belt friend of mine who I hadn't seen in some time, uh, informing me that they were going to have a black belt get together workout. <clears throat> at uh, Ed Parker's school in Santa Monica, California, and invited me to come on down and join the group. And uh, since I uh, hadn't seen these guys in quite a, quite a while, I endured the three-hour drive uh, and uh, um, um, I got to I got to school. We uh, we all got suited up and we're out on the mats just. Uh, uh, you know, beating the crap out of each other and just having a really good time. And <laughs> yeah, and then I noticed a um, a commotion at the door, and I turned and looked, and in walked, oh my God, Elvis Presley. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, what's he doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, in any event, um, um, he watched for a while, and then he uh, he ended up. Uh, literally getting out on the mats and working out with uh, with us, and I was his uh, training partner, uh, and we called training partners in those days uh, the dummy, be uh, because what else would you call somebody who would allow you to beat on them? Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but in any event, um, I helped him out with the material because he was. Uh, to, to give him credit, you know, um, it, it would be an amazing chore for anybody to walk into a karate school in a system that he's not uh, familiar with and work out with them. That's a that's a big big deal right there. Yeah. yeah. But um, he did well, and I guess he enjoyed um, uh, beating up on me. <laughs> um, and um, we, uh, I did a. Uh, I did a technique that uh, I enjoyed doing. It was just a demonstration of speed. And basically, it was uh, 13 different moves uh, that I could, uh, in those days, uh, do in 10 excuse me, in two seconds. Mm -hmm. Today, it takes me two minutes. But <laughs> <laughs> I know how you feel. I was very I... impressed with that. And 
You know, a day or so later, I got a call from Ed Parker informing me that Elvis uh, wanted to uh, meet with me uh, and uh, and him and um, uh, out at his house in Beverly Hills. So I said, sure. So off we went. And um, um, we were all sitting around and just uh, chatting and telling stories and laughing and telling jokes and having a good time. And... Uh, uh, Elvis said, uh, Dave, you're going to have to excuse us for a minute, if you don't mind. Uh, we, have, uh, we have something that we have to take, take care of out in the, um, in the driveway. So if you'll just sit here for a while, um, you know, I'll, I'll appreciate it. And I said, fine. So off they go, and um, they're out taking, taking care of whatever business they're supposed to be taking care of. And I hear Elvis uh, yell, hey, Dave, come on out here. I need you. <laughs> and I, I had no clue. You know, I didn't know whether it was a problem or whatever. Yeah. Anyhow, they're all standing there. Um, and um, Elvis says to me, uh, and I said, yeah, Elvis, what, uh, you know, what can I help you with? And he says, it's this car right here. A 1971 Mercedes-Benz uh, 280SL. Yeah. I still didn't know what he was referring to, and he said, "I, uh, I would like you to drive this car somewhere for me." I'm like, "Sure. Where would you like me to take it?" And he said, "Anywhere you like. It's your car." Oh my heavens! I don't know. <laughs> then he handed me the keys and the paperwork to the car. I said. Uh, Enjoy your car, Dave. And they all walked in the house and left me there. And so me and Ed Parker drove our separate ways on home. And that was my uh, <laughs> that was my first uh, uh, brush with the uh, unbelievable generosity of uh, yeah, Elvis Presley. That's unbelievable. You must have had your mouth open when he said it's yours and handed you the keys. Just <laughs> the draw. Oh, I was. Uh, oh yeah, I was astounded. I, you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. You know, I'm a poor boy from the tenements. You know, I never had anything like that happen to me. Um, that that wasn't the time he was wearing the turban, surely. No, no, it wasn't. That was uh, sometime after that first meeting. Um, uh, I got a call at my school and um, the uh, stadium Elvis wanted to come out and visit with me at my school, and so he did. We're out, you know, working out on a mass and having a good time, and he's laughing. He's sitting there, uh, and he's um, he's got my, my two daughters on either side of him, and one of which, uh, my little, oldest daughter, Lori, he's uh, showing his uh, all the jewelry that he that he was wearing to her, and she was just fascinated listening mm -hmm. to uh, you know him him describing all of his jewelry, and he's wearing uh, this turban. Now everybody was wondering about the tur uh, the turban. Um, people to this day still wonder, you know, why in the heck was he wearing that turban? Well, I was interested too, so I asked I asked him, <laughs> why why are you wearing that turban? And he said, um, because uh, when I was leaving the house, my house looked like sh um, excuse me, my hair looked like shit. <laughs> and I didn't want to go out in public looking like that, so I grabbed this turban and stuck it on my head. <laughs> Why not, as you do? <laughs> I mean, don't we all do that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. When, our, when our hair looks like crap, we, uh, 
you know, wear a turban. Uh, th- th- there's some lovely photographs actually taken that evening, and your daughters are in them, as you said. And I've actually seen the uh, the movie footage as well, the eight millimeter movie footage on YouTube as well, and it's quite cool. Uh, yeah, it is. It was uh, it, it was a fun time. We uh, uh, it, it was enjoyable for for everybody. Except he stepped on my youngest daughter's foot and like broke her foot. So other than that, <laughs> I don't believe it. Was you. a great experience. For oh, that no. oh no! Oh no! Yeah, that that, that picture is uh, um, my favorite picture, obviously. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Understandably so. Um, yeah. I, I think I think the only thing we can do in, now is uh, discuss Elvis. What happened? Um, okay. Everybody is probably on tender hooks waiting for the, for us to mention that. Um, I suppose uh, looking at the cover, the first, the, the front side says the dark other side of the brightest star in the world. And then when you flip it over, it says uh, brooding, violent, obsessed with death, strung out and sexually driven. So that, that would be uh, the way it's presented in 1977. Okay, well, let me give you my uh, I, I, comments. I, I, I have the actual uh, initial print in my hand now i i bought it on the the day it was released it's it's very dog-eared now and uh the the, the pages are very yellow so uh i got yeah. it I, I got it when, when it came out on the first of august yeah um well in the first place uh, um to go back to what you said uh, the words that were written on the cover of that book and the back cover of the book those were not our words we didn't say that. We didn't say any of that. Those were the words of the publisher and the uh, and the, uh, their their writer, Steve Dunleavy. Steve Dunleavy, yeah. Yes. What we're saying here really is uh, it was said it was sensationalized. Exactly. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. And we were helpless um, to do anything about it. As a matter of fact. Uh, neither Red, Sonny, or I. Uh, Red uh, had an opportunity to read the final draft that they published until they actually published it. And we were, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, pissed off at the way it came out. At the way it came out. That's quite understandable. Because we sat in a hotel room, the three of us, with uh, with uh, with Steve. And we told stories, and um, which um, which he recorded, and we did that for thirty days. Thirty days. We told bunches of stories, mm-hmm. and the vast majority of those stories were fun times, good times. You know the 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 jokes we played on each other, the kind of um, uh, interactions that we had back and forth, and fun, um, funny kinds of. Um, uh, situations, and the um, the publishers decided to ignore all of that and to um, sensationalize um, the quote negative uh, uh, stuff, and um, we were helpless to do anything about it because they owned all the rights and they had all the power, and we had nothing. So, obviously, the the uh, the book as it was uh, produced 
was a sensational. Was a sens- they were, you know, the publishers uh, were right. It was sensational. It it didn't uh, it, it didn't fit the agenda at the time. Uh, they they had uh, Steve and Ballantine books. Uh, obviously, it was to try and paint uh, the 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 darkest possible picture of Elvis Presley at the time. Yeah, and that was our problem. Our problem was is that they didn't print any of the good stuff. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I mean, there was no balance to the book, and we complained. Um, we uh, we made our our um, our feelings known to the uh, publishers, and they just told us to you know pound sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, they weren't interested in what we were doing, and you know, and one more item I'd like to address with yeah. the. Uh, you know, to those folks who hated the book and hated uh, us as a result of it, and the many that still do today, um, the, one of the one of the things that really gets my goat is the <clears throat> the ignorant hatred. Like they're all screaming, "Yeah, they're Judases, they're backstabbers, and they did it all for the money." Hmm. You know, um, uh, you know. Here's your thirty pieces of silver, you know, I mean, and crap like that. And the point of fact is this. Let's talk about the money. Okay. And I will tell you the facts. And the fact is this. I made 1.6 cents per book. Uh, and um, I don't know where all those millions I, was, I supposedly made went. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then furthermore, the book was in print for 22 years, and we never got a royalty, uh, not a penny, hmm. for the last 10 years that it was in print. So, um, you know, um, my um, my point is is that y'all weren't there, therefore you don't know, uh, you know, for a fact what you're talking about. Because everything that you know is hearsay. It's second-hand information. Now, I will say that some of the information that you think you know is true and it's accurate. Some of it is not true and it's not accurate. And some of it is flat-out BS. Mm-hmm. It really is. So uh, you know that's my uh, that's my statement of facts. Uh, people can choose to believe what they want to believe, and if they want to continue, uh, you know, with their hatred, then it's on them. So this brings me to the question: Why did you, Sonny and Red, uh, get together and do the book? Well, we did um, just to backtrack briefly. We tried everything in our power to, that we could do to uh, help Elvis with his problem. Now, everybody knew that Elvis had a, um, a drug issue. Everybody. I mean, the dog knew it. The three of us uh, were the ones that stepped up and tried to do something about it. I mean, I was accused of being a bully. You know, and yeah, uh, I objected to it, and yeah, I, um, you know, was less than nice to the people that were bringing in the drugs. But you know, I'd like to uh, just to expand on on that a little bit. 
When I say that everybody knew that Elvis had a drug problem, um, everybody includes his father. Yeah, I was going to come to that because he was uh, obviously he, he held the financial purse strings. The doctor, yep. the, the doctors had to be paid. The pills had to be paid for. For him, yes. for him to try and claim that he knew no, he had no knowledge that Elvis had a problem with prescription medications would just be a falsity. Absolutely true. Mm. And um, so, um, why didn't uh, why didn't Vernon step in? I mean, this is his son, who has uh, this this drug problem that we believed was going to kill him. We believed he was in mortal peril. We didn't believe that he was a bad guy. Not at all. Not not for a second did we ever believe that. He was a good guy, but he had a problem. He was a victim. And the three people that stood up and tried to do what they could do, and one of the things that we tried to do was get him into a rehab facility, and, uh, you know, in the, with cooperation from the police force in Denver, Colorado, had it all set up. It would have been, um, you know, um, um, no one would have known about it, and uh, it would be protected. Uh, and uh, when it was presented to him, he went insane. I mean, insane, um, just crazy mad. So mad that he just turned to us and said, uh, we're leaving right now, uh, and go get on the plane. And we left so fast that we had to leave a couple of guys behind to pack our bags to bring them, you know, to uh, Las Vegas where uh, we were going and Elvis, uh, you know, to uh, stay with uh, Dr. Ganim. And that was the, um, so, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm getting a little emotional now and I need to calm down a little bit. But the, um, so in desperation, frankly, we decided that um, if we were to go public, maybe this would um, um, force him to um, realize what he was doing, not only to himself, but everybody around him, and maybe make some changes. Now, our reasons were threefold. The first one was we were fired um, you know, with no notice and two weeks pay. Which is very harsh. Um, very harsh. Yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, I would just su suggest to the folks that are listening right now that, uh, you know, they all worried about Elvis's feelings. And they fail to realize that other folks have feelings too. So there we are out in the street with no job, no income, um, and a family to feed. How in the world are we going to do that? I was 38 years old, the next bodyguard. Where, where am I going to go for, for a job? But in any event, um, there, was, there was that consideration. The consideration uh, about the manner in which we were fired. Um, really uh, pissed us off. It really did. It was wrong. It shouldn't have been handled that way. There's a theory that uh, Elvis had said to Vernon, 
you know, we'll we'll hire them back after a few weeks or months. We'll just give them a message to say that you know it's, it's none of their business. Uh, and then uh, Vernon just forgot to say that to you. You know that you will be hired back. Yep. And he also uh, forgot to mention that Elvis told him to pay us each $5,000. Well, that doesn't surprise me because Vernon was quite tight, wasn't he? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, all of his stuff was paid for. And if the reason that he gave us is that they were having, um, you know, overhead problems and they needed to cut uh, expenses, then why did they hire three people right behind us? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do, do you mind me asking you, uh, what was the rate of pay in the, in the 70s with Elvis? I made um, $350 a week. I actually made um, uh, quite a bit more at my karate school. Mm. But nevertheless, I made 350 a week. and um, But all my expenses were paid for. Well, that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah and I received... Tons of um, of uh, uh, of gifts from Elvis. I mean, tons of stuff. Yeah. If you want, I can go into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, I um, nowadays and for the last uh, few years, I've been uh, doing uh, doing tours and speaking engagements and things of that nature, and. Uh, <clears throat> What I try to do is answer questions that folks might have. Now, the number one question that I've received over the over the years uh, is, uh, what was Elvis Presley the person really like? So, um, in an attempt to answer that, is, you know, I had a quandary. I mean, how the heck do you answer that? You know, I mean, <laughs> I don't. I couldn't even describe myself. You know, yeah. adequately. Never mind, uh, you know, Elvis Presley. So I thought, well, everybody knew, and everybody knows that Elvis Presley was a was a generous human being, and he really was. He was the most generous human being I ever met, um, and probably you ever met. I mean, he gave away houses and furniture and cars and trucks and motorcycles and go-karts and money and jewelry and clothing and often he did that with complete strangers. So um, with that in mind, I thought folks might be interested in hearing what it was like to be on the receiving end of all that generosity. So I told the story of the second car that Elvis gave me. Uh, which uh, illustrates the point that I'm trying to make with it. Uh, Elvis, uh, Elvis and I and, uh, and uh, somebody else were driving around Memphis one day. I forget who was driving the car. But Elvis was in the front seat and I was in the back seat, and we're just driving around aimlessly, telling stories and talking about women and, you know, telling jokes and just having a good time. And Elvis uh, uh, abruptly says to me, you know what, Dave, I want to buy you a car. <laughs> and I said, well, that's nice, Elvis, but you don't have to do that. He said, yeah, I know I don't have to do it, but I want to buy you a car. I said, well, Elvis, you just gave me a Mercedes a year and a half ago. 
you don't have to you don't have to give me a car. He says, I know I don't have to buy you a car, but I want to buy you a car. <laughs> I said, well, you know, I mean, this, don't feel like you need to. And next thing I know, there's a loaded gun stuck in my face. Elvis said to me, you're going to take this fucking car or I'm going to blow your fucking head off. <laughs> And I went, whoa, <laughs> okay, Elvis, I'll take the car. I didn't know you were serious. <laughs> so he gave me the car. It was a 1974 Lincoln Mark IV, um, which I drove for uh, 20 years, actually. Uh, today, that car is in uh, on display at Graceland. Oh, right. It's, for, the, for all of y'all that go there uh, on the tour, it's the purple Lincoln. Hmm. But nevertheless, back to the story. So uh, a few months later, Elvis and I were sitting in his room, and uh, I said, um, hey, Elvis, you got any idea of how many vehicles you have given away, you know, in the last couple of years? And he went, no, and I don't care. <laughs> I went, oh, okay. And he said, hang on, I want to show you something. So he comes back, and he hands me a check made out to him in the amount of $100,000. Wow. One of many checks in a series before and um, many more to come. And he said, I'm not stupid. I understand that I couldn't buy the kind of PR and goodwill that I get when I buy somebody a car. He says, secondly, it seems like every time I do something good for people, for somebody, it comes back to me ten times over, just mm -hmm. like that check you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And lastly, it makes me feel good to make people happy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was what Elvis the person was really like. He just loved giving. He loved the expression on people's faces when he when he gave them the gifts. Um, you know, that, that I've heard that mentioned many times. It was the giving. It was the expression on 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 the people's faces. Oh yeah, yeah. They were astounded, uh, astounded. You know, like I was. Mm. I'd I'd like to move on a little bit now and, and discuss uh, the the health uh, issues that Elvis had. Um, yes. later on and oh, I mean obviously you know some of these conditions he had did require the, the medications that he was taking but there was also a certain amount of recreational use as well with the drugs wasn't there yeah I um, I don't know the best way I can um, try to uh, share some light on that is uh, you know when Elvis uh, when Elvis died they found, um, I think, either 11 or 14 different drugs in his system uh, in, the, uh, in the autopsy. And um, the guy, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't there. Neither Red, Sonny, or I were there when he, uh, when he died. We'd been gone for a year. So uh, we weren't there. But the guys that were still there, you know, half of them were saying that, well, you know, uh, Elvis never did drugs. I mean, he just, you know, he, he had some prescriptions, of course, but uh, he never abused that. And, uh, 
he was in um, a, he was in really good health, and he was looking forward to the next upcoming tour. The other half was saying, "Well, you know, Elvis had a uh, had a disease that no one knew anything about it. It was a secret." So my response to that is, well, if it was a secret, how do you know about it? <laughs> uh, uh, number two, if Elvis was in good health, as half of them said, what was he doing with uh, 11 to 14 different drugs in his system? On the other hand, if Elvis had a disease of some kind, name for me the disease that requires the simultaneous ingestion of 14 different drugs. So who, who would be to blame? Would it be Elvis? Would it be the doctors? It would be twofold, in my opinion, or, or maybe threefold. It would be um, Elvis, because we are ultimately responsible for what, what it is that we do individually, I think. Uh, uh, and it was also the fault of the uh, the bad doctors, uh, who should have had uh, more principles, uh, you know. Uh, and uh, you know, um, they knew perfectly well, you know, the stuff that they were prescribing was not not good for Elvis. They knew it, but they did it in return for uh, you know. Um, and, Elvis's friendship and his money, and then there are the and then and then there, and then there's the the third one, which is uh, uh, Vernon. Mm. Why didn't he do anything? Mm. So uh, you know those uh, those three things I think uh, were um, uh, the primary um, culprits, if you will. I don't know what else to call it. <clears throat> there would have been a, a, a certain amount of stress. Uh, being Elvis Presley, his unique lifestyle that he, he had to lead, uh, stresses of touring, the boredom of Las Vegas, all those sort of things would have piled in as well. Yes. Yes, that's true. But, you know, for those people who uh, point at the colonel and, uh, you know, maybe with good reason, but point at the colonel as uh, complicit by, quote, working Elvis to death, it's just nonsense. Um, did they, you know, there are did, many performers work, you know, two, three hundred days a year. Hmm. You know, and Elvis didn't work any amount, anywhere near that amount. Yeah. I mean, he would go out on tour for, you know, uh, a week, two weeks. Mm -hmm. uh, and how many tours would he do a year? You would probably know the statistics better than me. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, if you add up all of that, uh, you know, totality of, uh, of work, it doesn't compare to the kind of uh, work that most performers go through. You just mentioned the colonel there. Uh, he knew about the drugs. Oh, yeah. Colonel, uh, you know, in my, um, you know, last year, whether you realize it or not, I wrote, uh, I wrote a book. Yeah, The Elvis uh, Experience. Uh, yeah, after 42 years of silence, I decided to tell my own story. And I included in there um, a, uh, a chapter on the colonel. I, um, I quoted word for word the, uh, uh, the words that, uh, uh, I forget who the author was, um, 
about the colonel, and, you know, he was probably a murderer that escaped from Holland, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. That whole, I, I printed the whole thing. And then, in, uh, in contrast, I, I, I told of my experiences with the colonel. And um, they, were, they were quite different. I, you know, I never knew that the colonel had that kind of a background. I never knew that at all. So I just described the, uh, the interplay that I had personally with the colonel. And everything else um, is hearsay to me. I mean, if you talk to me about uh, Elvis's appearances in, um, you know, in the, uh, in the 50s, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm. Mm. I wasn't there. You know, anything before 1972, I wasn't there. So, uh, you know, my information up to that point in time was hearsay as well. That, that actually brings me on to a subject that I just want, I want to briefly touch on, which is the uh, documentary, uh, A Little Bit of Elvis, that Frank Skinner made in 1998. Yes. Um, now, my own personal opinion on this is, I mean, uh, Frank's obvious love for Elvis uh, comes through. Uh, and yes. a lot of it wasn't bad. I mean, there, there was, I mean, the people he met along the way, I mean, he met Scotty Moore. He sang uh, a very, very actually passable version of Peace in the Valley with the Jordan Ears. Um, but there was times when I thought he was kind of overcooking it slightly and being overdramatic. Um, before, just before he was, he met you, it was sort of, uh, you know, he called you a killing machine and you could kill somebody 14 different ways in 14 seconds. And I, it was a little bit over dramatic for me. Yeah. Did you like it when I uh, whacked him in the throat? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he kind of, he kind of looked uh, pretty scared when you did that. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the, here's the thing about Frank. In the first place, I like him. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah. Um, and he's a likable guy. Yeah. He uh, he also uh, was uh, uh, victimized, you know, by that stupid shirt. The problem is, is that he became convinced that the bad guy in all of this was me. And he set about to destroy me uh, on national television. Okay. Okay. So, in any event, the story behind the um, the the shirt and the episode with Frank is that I received a bunch of clothing from Elvis uh, and the remark that he's he's had him hanging around his closet since the fifties. Just you know, take this crap. And one of them was his uh, was his shirt which I sold to a lady who in turn sold it to uh, this guy in, in Germany, I believe, who then turned around and, uh, and held an auction uh, selling the, uh, the shirt and maybe other stuff, I don't know, claiming that the shirt was the shirt that Elvis wore in his 1956 concert in Tupelo, Mississippi. Frank is the guy that bought the shirt, and he paid like seven, eighteen grand for it, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and was uh, and was convinced once he found out that it was uh, not the shirt that Elvis wore in that concert. 
you know, he was rightly incensed over the fact that he had been uh, he had been ripped off. Uh, but he, uh, his conclusion, in spite of the input that he got from other people, Lamar being one of them, and uh, um, you know the, the makers of that particular shirt, uh, Bernard Lansky. Who, uh, yeah, who yeah. who verified that uh, it was one of their shirts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he still insisted that I was the bad guy, and he set out to do me in. The uh, I think um, the, I didn't see that that um, that interview uh, or that hack job, you know, for um, many 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 years afterwards. And when I did see it, um, you know, I was astounded at how how it was edited. I mean, it really was. I mean, edited, but nevertheless, I mean, that's the way stuff happens. Yeah. So, I think in the end, that Frank uh, realized that you know I really wasn't the bad guy. I didn't even know there was a concert in Tupelo, Mississippi, in 1956. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. How would I know? Yeah, because you didn't start I working wouldn't. for him till '72. Yeah, and I wasn't a fan until I worked for him. Mm-hmm. Well, this, so I never followed his career in any way, you know, before then. Well, this is this, so in any in any event. Yeah, that's what that's what yeah. happened. So I think we ended up. Um, Frank and I ended up uh, as friends. Uh, I like to think we we did. Uh, in fact, he asked me to sign an autograph for him. <laughs> which I did, um, and um, you know, and of course, when he made that remark about being in a, me being a killing killing machine, you know, I just couldn't help myself, and I smacked him in the throat. <laughs> well, well my, my opinion from watching the documentary was: Is it an Elvis shirt? Yes. Is it the Tupelo shirt? No. So. Frank did have a shirt that belonged to Elvis, but it wasn't the one that the lady said it was. Yeah, I said that to him, as a matter of fact. And that's my opinion. I mean, everybody else might have other opinions, but that's my opinion. Yes, it was an Elvis shirt, but not the Tupelo shirt. That's true. That is true. Uh, oh, yeah, I, w- I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about Linda Thompson. Yeah. Um. A lot of fans say that, you know, if it hadn't been for Linda's devotion to Elvis, he could have died a lot sooner than what he did. I agree. She saved his life numerous times? Um, Well, I don't know as I'd go that far, but she was really the best uh, thing that that ever happened to him, I think. She was a a wonderful person. Beautiful person, uh, as well as being a beautiful woman, you know. Uh, I have, and her and I got along uh, very well. Uh, at least I believe we have, we did. Uh, and I have nothing but uh, good thoughts and admiration for Linda Thompson. She's a class act. Um, it, it's it's been said that she uh, saved his life numerous times by. If uh, when he was eating or something like that, and he'd fall asleep while he was eating, and he would have, uh, he would be choking on the food, and she would actually dig the food out of his mouth uh, and save him from choking. So, so that, that so that's what I was alluding to when I said, you know, he, she'd saved his yeah. life on numerous times. 
Yeah, I heard that too. I don't know that to be a fact because mm-hmm. I, n- I never witnessed it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really don't. I, I, I really don't want to comment on something I don't know anything about, really. Right. But I wouldn't doubt it. You mm. know, that could be true. Yeah. yeah. Um, w- w- what, does, what does Dave Hebler do these days? Oh, my goodness. I just finished writing a um, <clears throat> home study women's self-defense uh, training manual for uh, women and um, and young ladies. Um, the The title of the manual is "How to Survive Encounters of the Worst Kind," and it's designed specifically for the novice, for somebody who's never had um, any any training whatsoever. And just a small bit about my motivation with doing this is that here in the U.S., there are 10 million women and young ladies who are physically violently assaulted every year. My goodness. And that's been true for 50 years. It's still true today. And the majority of those victims are girls age 11 to 19. And they are victimized at a rate some 84% higher than the general population. So this is my effort to try to do something about that particular epidemic. Um, And it's now available. I just finished my my new website, which is uh, DaveHeldler.com. Okay. Pretty easy to remember that one. And um, uh, so we're now... um, um, setting out on a, on a marketing program for, for that manual. The second thing I'm uh, doing is um, uh, I signed with a talent agency a few months back in, uh, in L.A., a talent management agency, and they're doing um, three projects, you know, with me. One of them is to take my, uh, my book that I wrote last year, The Elvis Experience, and to... Uh, market that to a major publisher because uh, it was uh, self-published. So they want to try to market it to a a major publisher, which means that there'll be quite a bit changed and added to and what have you. Uh, And, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty okay with that, you know. Uh, The second thing is, is that the DVD that I did... um, based on my appearance in, uh, in Denmark about seven years ago, uh, which was called The Elvis Experience, as a matter of fact. And um, there's also uh, more footage than that was in there, so, which I've acquired. And uh, so now they're uh, going to produce a new, uh, a new d- DVD with the, um, uh, with the added material and whatever, and uh, try to do uh, some kind of a distribution deal. And the third thing they're doing is a movie of my life, okay. which I find kind of humorous. <laughs> Why would anybody want to make a movie of my life? You know, but they think people would be interested, so they want to proceed with that. And I just finished. Um, uh, editing uh, the first 40 pages of the script. So they're, they're quite serious in pursuing this. So 
uh, hopefully, um, you know, that stuff will come to happen, but, uh, you know, it hasn't happened yet, and until it does, I don't count it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, that's what I've been doing. And uh, where can they get the, the books, in, including the Elvis experience? You do sign copies as well, do you? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I have um, signed copies. Uh, I have a few left. I have about five copies left. Um, the, uh, one of the problems of the hard copies and signing them is the, is the shipping costs. The shipping costs are just enormous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I were to um, uh, ship a book to you, it would cost upwards of 27 to $30 just for the postage. Oh, wow. So, you know, that would make the uh, the book, you know, I would have to charge so darn much money for it. It would be prohibitive. Mm-hmm. The alternative is, is that the book is also available from uh, Amazon, both in a uh, ebook and as a, um, as a hard copy book. Uh, I believe the prices are $7.99 for the uh, ebook and $19.95 for the uh, for the hard copy, and if you're a, I guess if you're a member of uh, of Amazon, you can. Uh, the shipping is free. Yes. So th- that that might be a, a good alternative. That, but there are some people who want an an uh, autograph copy, and what what makes that difficult is uh, in the first place I have to purchase the copy, you know, in order to sign it. Yeah. Because the uh, the printers they don't give a, give me the book for free, <laughs> for sure. So it is it is really costly um, to do an autograph copy, you know, for folks outside of the uh, continental U.S. But uh, anybody within the U.S. can contact you, can they, and get a signed copy? Oh yeah, 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 they can. Um, I will go and uh, if, if enough demand, uh, you know, happens, I will. Of course, go and buy some copies yeah. and, and uh, be happy to sign them. Uh, Dave, I'd like to say thanks very much for uh, allowing me to uh, chat with you today and for giving up some of your valuable time. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, um, and I appreciate the fact that you didn't stick any knives in me. <laughs> I'm kind of allergic to people sticking knives in me. <laughs> that would have been counterproductive to do that anyway. <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, thank you. And con- continued good health as well, Dave. And I'll speak to you again. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks once again to Dave Hebler for joining me on this episode. If you haven't already, please check out my other episodes. They're all available on all good podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcast, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and iHeartRadio to name just a few. You can contact me by email at ElvisTheUltimateFanChannel at gmail.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I hope you'll join me next time for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel podcast. (laughs) 